Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back, Sports to the Max. News Talk 830 WCCO. I could talk to this guy all night. I'll talk to him at least for a while on the John Schuster Colville Banker Hotline. Brian Cosgriff is a guy I've known for many, many years. And... Uh, Watched him put these unbelievable teams together at Hopkins. And, uh, he's at Providence Academy this year. What they do, he's assistant coach there. They won some more. And uh, he's got a player by the name of Paige Beckers playing in the uh, Final Four course coming here. Who he coached since uh, eighth grade through her senior year. Cos, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. It's always good to visit with you. And I guess the first obvious question is, how did it strike you last night to watch her in overtime? You know what? It, it was Paige being Paige. I mean, I had seen those type of performances from her ever since seventh grade um, when she was playing on our, our sophomore and our JV team. She would come out as a sophomore, and and back in the day, you had three halves a night, and she'd lead the sophomore team to an undefeated season, and our JV would be tied or behind, and she'd come out and lead the JV team to an undefeated season. Then as an eighth grader, she was amazing, led us to the state tournament. <laughs> yeah, I mean that—that's that, something. And uh, yeah, she's not the biggest physically. I, I'd imagine she was small then. How did how did she get away with it, so to speak? You know what? She she was a little peanut actually, and uh, she was so skinny and and you know kind of frail. Look, we called her olive oil from Popeye. <laughs> and um, but all she did was come out there and drain threes and drop dimes and and pick people and. I mean, she she's capable of doing it all. I mean, she's she's a tough cookie. She's not afraid of anything. She's fearless, and uh, she cares so much about her teammates and her coaches. It's it's so much fun. So, you know, one of the things that I, I guess I knew, but I didn't realize it until I watched closely last night. Her form is just picture perfect, isn't it? I mean, the elbow, the follow through, the everything. Uh, you can only get that through hours of shooting. But uh, is that that product of the doctor dish, or what is it? Because it is flawless. It really is, and and she's she's put a ton of time into her game. And uh, she would go up there, and we'd have open gyms up at the Lindbergh Center, and she'd go over there and play with the boys. And you know, she's the only kid that I know of that Kenny said she could start on the boys' side. And, and be really good. Hmm. And, it, you know, it takes hours and hours and hours, I get. But if you were to describe her uh, personality profile, what would it be? You know, um, she, she's quirky. She's she's funny as heck. Um, you know, uh, she's, she's really fun to be around. Uh, her teammates love her. Uh, fun to coach. Um, 
you know, you better have your eyes dotted and your T's crossed when you when you go to coach her because she's going to call you on the rug if you're if you're not ready for it because she has such a high basketball IQ. I remember well, one time in practice I teed her up. Yep. She didn't like that too much. You gave her a T for what? For, for just being Paige and, yeah. and and doing silly stuff and talking trash and all that. And uh, it was it was actually pretty funny because um, we were doing like simulation drills for games and that sort of thing. And I called a, a I made a bad call and she started giving me crap as an official. I teed her up. <laughs> and, and and her other team won, so she was pissed about that. that that's a competitor, right? Now, now when you when you talk, you coached them all. You had great teams. Where, where does being a competitor rank? Not just with her, but for for what you want to see from kids. Do, do you want a chip on the shoulder? Do you want them to play a little bit angry? Uh, how would you quantify what being a great competitor is? Well, for her, and for for I mean, you don't want people to be like just angry out there yeah you want them to be you want actually them to you want them to play with joy and compete hard right exactly you want them to be smart you want them to be like i always called her a coach on the floor and her goal as a player and you could see this last year when she was at uconn to start the year coach ariama would get upset with her because she wasn't shooting enough and she liked to pass the ball i mean she really loved to pass the ball a lot and make her teammates better that um, she was more fond of that than actually shooting the basketball. But I would tell you, she was she has a uh, coach's IQ. She was there were some times when I was coaching her that she would call stuff on the floor, and it was spot on exactly what needed to be called, and, and it, she ran it to perfection. Brian Cosgriff is our guest, Hopkins basketball coach for years, Hall of Fame coach, Coach Paige Beckers. You know, along those lines, uh, Mike Krzyzewski, after he got Tyus Jones to commit, would come out here from time to time and watch the game. And then he'd go over to their home afterwards, right, and, and, and he'd meet with mm-hmm. Tyus and the family. And, and and I said, I think I asked Trey or somebody, I said, well, J.D., what, what were those meetings like? They said, well, he'd come, he'd have notes. He'd have all these notes he took from the game. And, and he'd sit down with uh, Tyus because Tyus had made the commitment. Now, he wasn't just recruiting him. He, he was uh, you know, signed and, and heading to Duke. And, and he'd take him through some of the things he saw in the game. And one of the things that he pointed out to Tyus was, you know, like a particular time, he said, why did you pass the ball in that situation? And he said, well, because he was open and blah, blah, blah. He says, no, no. Why did you pass it? You're a better shooter than the guy you passed it to. Why did you pass it to him? And, and, and he kind of drilled at him, you know, to find out that you know Tyus didn't want to be a ball hog, and the guy was his friend, and all those things. And that was Shashevsky's point: was if you're truly unselfish, you would have shot the ball because shooting the ball means that gives your team the best chance to win. But kids don't think of it that way. Every once in a while, when you get a high end player, do, do you have to insert that thought process into them? Well, I remember there were some times where I'd have to get after her to shoot the basketball because she did want to incorporate her teammates, and she was a better shot than, you know, everyone else on the team. But still, you know, she wanted to execute the play that was being called, and if that was one of the options and she read the defense correctly, she was going to make that pass. Um, There were times, like when we played YZ in the section finals of her senior year, 4,000 people in the stands, Timberwolves were sitting in the front row, and Wyzetta was playing a zone. And they were giving us some tough times with it. And then with about five or six minutes left in the game, they decided to go uh, man-to-man. And without any direction from any of the coaches, 
we ran a play called option one, which was a high ball screen up top with our post. And the Wyzetta post, if she didn't come out and guard Paige, Paige was going to stop and pull up on him. When she came out to guard her, Paige went right around her and would get an and one. And she did that every time down until they proved that they could stop her, which they didn't. And we ended up winning by about 15, all on just Paige's IQ out on the court. I mean, after her playing days are over, she's going to make a great coach. I just know she will because she's got that high of, a, high of a basketball IQ. I was sitting with Ted Reverso last night watching yeah. the game, and we were talking about what makes her great and the fact that you know she's got a tremendous work ethic, but she's born with this innate ability to see the game and slow the game down, and she's just so good at reading people and reading defenses and those types of things that um, – Man, I'll tell you what, she's going she's gonna to be a great coach one day because she sees the game so well. Is that innate, or is that something you get from just playing on the playgrounds a lot? I think a little bit of both. I mean, you know, she was a, she, she was a really good Little League baseball player when she was a kid. Um, you know, I, I know she could have gone out to the, the baseball team at Hopkins and probably been a starting pitcher. I mean, she's born with tremendous athleticism, but yet she was, she's also very smart and intuitive about the game. Can you stay on with us for a quick break, Kaz? You got it. Yeah, I want to ask you about why in the women's game, and, and you know all the, the, the power coaches, uh, why is it so top-heavy? Why don't we see more Cinderella stories in women's basketball, and it's always the top seeds that advance, and, and, and will that ever change? Brian Cosgriff, our guest, talking women's Final Four and much more on Sports to the Max. Welcome back. Rejoining us, the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline, Brian Cosgriff. Former coach of Paige Beckers, but he's a lot more than that. Um, he's a very accomplished Hall of Fame uh, girls basketball coach and beyond. Cause you, you've studied the um, uh, the college game because you've had so many college coaches come through and reach out to you over the years. Uh, let me start with Gino. You've got a, a strong personal relationship with him. What's he like? He's a great guy. He is really down to earth. He is uh, a regular guy. Um, uh, he'll sit and talk hoops with you. He'll talk anything, you know, that you want to talk about. Um, very approachable. There's a reason why UConn gets the top players every year is because that guy is a heck of a great recruiter. How does he do it? What's his sales pitch? I mean, besides well, winning, obviously. I mean, obviously he's got the the championships, but but what's he like? Well, he's just a regular guy. But if he's saying he's coming to your open gym, he's coming. He's not sending an assistant or anything like that. And if he does, it's his assistant comes with him and um, he uses up all his visits. And um, I mean, he's just, he's just really a regular guy and he's a great recruiter. He just has what it takes to be great at that level. Was the college teammates uh, football wise with with Joe Sensor? He was a, he was a college roommate with Joe Sensor. Wow. Joe Sensor played basketball. Yep. At Westchester State. And actually, my buddy Ted, Ted Reverso, the Augsburg coach, went to Westchester when Gina was there. He did? And yes, they're they're all Philly guys. I didn't and, know Ted um, was that part of that, yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, it's, it's Gina was there a little later because I was talking to Ted about this last night. And Gina was there a little later, but they're the same age. Yep. But uh, Joe and, um, and Gina were, were, college roommates and the funny thing about it is 
when I first had a meeting with Paige in eighth grade, I said, if you could pick one program to go play, where would you want to go? And she said, UConn. And then, so at the time, Marissa Mosley, who's the current Wisconsin coach, was an assistant out at UConn. And so I called Marissa because I had her number because she was at the University of Minnesota for a while. And we got her on the phone, and uh, I told her about Paige because Paige was amazing that year as an eighth grader. And they were going to follow her out on the circuit, but I said, you got to tell Coach Ariama that, uh, you know, Joe Sensor is a really good, you know, friend of the program, and Joe Sensor was, was his college college roommate. Mm-hmm. Huh. So. Wow. So, so explain to me this, though, because you know, we live for the big upset and the Cinderella story in the NCAA men's tournament. St. Peter was hit this year, Loyola Chicago a couple years ago. We look for the upset, the bracket buster, all those things. Why do we not see that very often in the women's game? Why is it that it's almost always a one against a two seed or one against a three seed uh, for the regional championship? And, and it's not unusual to have at least three out of the four number one seeds in the final four. You know, I think it gets down to coaching. I really do. I think it's it's very similar in the men's game if you look at it because, uh, you, you know, I heard you say earlier the Blue Bloods are playing in the uh, in the men's tournament. Yeah. And, and a lot of it has to do with the coaches that are there. You know, it's back in the, I, you know, Ted and I, once again, Ted and I were talking about this last night. Louisiana Tech was dominating the girls' game. Yep. And and you don't hear about them anymore. No. Why? Because of the coach. Because of the coaching. I mean, Pat Summit leaves Tennessee, and I don't know that they've been back since she left. Yep. And so, and you wonder if, when Geno decides to get out, will UConn be like that? You know, South Carolina gets Staley to come be the coach. Guess what? They're pretty good. Yep. The, the gal, the gal at uh, Tara Vanderveer at Stanford. Yep. Guess what? She's been there a while. She's really good. And that's kind of the same thing on the men's side. You might get some early upsets from time to time in, in the early rounds, but generally it's the Blue Bloods that are going to make it to the to the finals. I mean, is there enough talent out there that, that you know, South Dakota made a mini run this year. Uh, Creighton with some Minnesota kids wasn't too bad either. Uh, but right. is there there enough talent in, 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 so that you know if all the top teams stack the deck and get the top you know ten players whoever it is that they want is there still enough talent left that that other teams that are four and five seeds can can compete? You know I think so. I mean you take a look at like you, you just mentioned Creighton made a nice run. Um, you know uh, South Dakota made a nice run. Lot with lot of those were Minnesota kids, but I think at the end of the day there's just talent's going to win out and uh you're going to see the top programs with the top players and uh yeah i'll never forget when minnesota had whalen and, and mccarville that was quite quite a nice run when they made it to the final four yeah um yeah i mean it was that was when williams arena was cooking with gas because they would sell that place out i remember going to the game when they played ucla and they had yeah. probably fifteen thousand fans there so yeah, Nikki Blue, I think her name was, and when Lindsay Whalen came back, she'd been injured, and it was, uh, yeah, uh, it was quite a run. But we haven't really seen much like that um, um, since. Michigan had the best team, you know, in the Big Ten in terms of the uh, tournament, and 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 Brenda Oldfield's done quite a job. Brenda Freeze at uh, uh, at Maryland in sustaining it over the years. She's uh, you know she's been pretty good, uh, uh, I guess, throughout on, on most of that. Now, a lot of these girls from Hopkins that won the state championship this last year, you coached as sophomores and freshmen, etc. How good a class was this? How good a team was this? I think they're probably second best team in the nation. Actually, they lost to that Sidwell 
Sidwell friends mm-hmm. in that ESPN game, but uh, they beat that really good team from Colorado. They uh, went undefeated throughout the state. No one really ever gave them a game. And if you look at it, I mean, Nuno Agara, she's going to, to Stanford. Uh, Taylor Woodson is going to Michigan. Uh, Maya Battle is going to Minnesota. Um, you know, Maya Naji is going to Arizona. And Liv McGill, who's only a sophomore, will end up going where, wherever she wants. Um, I mean, that's a heck of a great starting lineup. And then you come off the bench with Kelly Boyle and 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 some other and Tatum Woodson, who is a great player. And, and, I mean, and they were missing Elena Contreras, who was their point guard, right? Exactly. And yeah. She would have been D one all day long yeah. too had she not got hurt. And uh, she's in there. She's going to go JC. Um, great kid. Great family so um mother is the uh director of special education in hopkins so i mean it's just a, a they've got they've they've had an amazing team and i think if they play sidwell friends again i bet you they, they could probably beat them i bet you if they played 10 times it'd be six to four sidwell and that's wow. that's amazing wow you had a pretty good run at providence this year as well how much fun was that that was a lot of fun we had great kids Connor Getz was our head coach. He did a, he's 28 years old, did a great job. He's, the kids love him, and, and they're going to be good for years because Madden Greenway was only an eighth grader, and they got the Count sisters back. And, and Madden Greenway's little sister, Becky Greenway, is the real deal. I mean, she, she's a peanut right now, but, boy, she can shoot the ball and she can run like the wind. So I think uh, the sky's the limit for those guys, and Connor's an amazing coach. So um, I, I think I, they're going to be good for a long time there, too. If you find a great shooter, is, is it the job of the coach to get him shots? You know, you want to. You, you, you really want to. But you know what? When, when you have a great shooter, and I've always said this, you can stop one person. You've got to develop other players to go along with them. And if you can do that... You know, you got a shot at something special. When you have just one player, you can shut one player down on any given night or follow trouble or injuries or that sort of thing. It's the ability as a coach to develop everyone. And if you can do that and develop a culture, I think you got a shot. What, what's, your, what's your definition of a great culture all the years that you coach? And does it change year to year based on your personnel? Um. You know, when I was at Hopkins, our culture was, you know, we were going to work as hard as we possibly could. All right. We were going to make sure we were prepared for every game. And we always wanted to have the mentality that once the season started, we, our goal was to play to the last day. Yep. It just was. And if you can play the last day, whether you win it or you lose it, it's a great year. Because you know what? In 4A basketball, there's 62 other teams at home watching you play. We always used to say ED or ING. Are you going to be watched or are you going to be watching? It's up to you. And there comes a time when winter asks what you did all summer. And so we, <laughs> I love that line. Winter asks what, what you do, did all summer, man. And now we find out because you can't hide it, right? Exactly. And what we used to do every summer is every morning we'd get up and all we would do is shoot. Because when I first started working with Kenny Novak, he said, you know what? If you can shoot the basketball, you got a shot. Yep. And when we first started out at Hopkins, we were tough, tough defensively. Yeah. But we could we couldn't throw it in the ocean. Yep. And and so consequently we lost some close games and we couldn't advance. But once we got up and we started shooting every morning, 
we t- we turned the corner and it became, you know, this is the staple of our program. We're going to be able to shoot the basketball. We're going to be fundamentally sound and we're going to work extremely hard. Do do this uh, state of favor, man, and keep coaching, okay? <laughs> if someone hires me, I would. Well, they, <laughs> you're as good as it gets, and uh, as any anybody looking for, if if you want, I don't know how bad you'd want to be a head coach again, but I mean, uh, you got it figured out, and not many do. You've got a special gift and talent uh, that is just uh, unsurpassed, and the record speaks for itself. So, uh, if you can, as long as you can, keep coaching, okay? Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I have, I've had a lot of great players, and you know, to be surrounded with p- players like Paige, you, you don't take it for granted because you know what? You feel very blessed to have players, great players like her, and 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 just the fortunate time you have together. Yeah, well, I know I've talked to her enough times to know it's a two-way street for you two as well. So, Kaz, I will talk to you soon. I always enjoy it. Thanks for giving us some time and perspective. Thanks so, thanks so much for having me on, Mike. Appreciate it, buddy. You bet, Brian Cosgrove. We come back. Janet Carvinot, what is she doing now? She came through, and how did she benefit from coming along just in time to be able to be a varsity basketball player? We'll talk about all of the above when we come back. And, yes, she's found her calling. Stay with us. Welcome back. Part of what we're doing this week during the uh, Women's Final Four is looking back at some of the people that uh, uh, made their name in women's sports uh, in this state and became synonymous with uh, uh, particularly basketball. Janet Carvin joins us on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. She's got a great story to tell. I spent some time with her yesterday out where she works now. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but she was the first that everybody took note of and said, whoa, what's going on here? Who's this New, New York Mills keeps coming down to the Met Center and winning championships? And, and who is this that can't miss and that deadly jump shot and all those things and that was janet carvinon and many of you will recall that janet thank you for joining us tonight well great to be with you thanks for calling what, what do you remember janet about when you found out uh did you play a lot of basketball and then one day somebody said hey you can you can actually be on a team now how did it how, how did it happen for you well, actually, I was I was actually a cheerleader in fifth and sixth grade for the boys' basketball teams in our elementary school because um, we had teams for them, but not for girls. And this was again in the right around the time of Title IX, so um, things were just starting to happen. But it took a few years for the, the trickle down effects to start uh, making their way all the way across the nation. And so I had the girls over to my house, and uh, our house was the funeral home. So we had high ceilings and uh, long aisles where we could do our cartwheels and get ready for our cheers mm. for the boys that, who are going to play. <laughs> so you literally practiced in your father's funeral home, huh? That's right. Yeah, it was it was nice. And, and did you play basketball for fun at that time, not realizing that an opportunity would uh, unveil itself? You know, we had a little square in our backyard, a little asphalt square that my older brother um, had gotten my dad to put in. And so I kind of monkeyed around with a rubber ball. And I have pictures of myself wearing like a button-down pink blouse with sandals and mm-hmm. <laughs> and kind of dribbling around with a rubber ball. But um, it wasn't until I was five feet, nine inches tall in sixth grade. And I got to go to my first basketball camp at Otter Basketball Camp. Uh, yeah, and, uh, I went to Otter when I was in, in junior high, absolutely. Seriously? Coach Stackpool and that, that whole gang, yeah. Oh, Jack Stackpool taught me how yeah, to Yeah, you know, yes. <laughs> and uh, Sue McDonald was there, you know, 
I had gone to the state tournaments and watched um, Paul and Mike play sure. for Chisholm. And then I got to actually be on the court with their little sister, which yep. I thought was just amazing. Yep. And uh, so that was really the beginning was an otter basketball camp. And my, I'm one of seven kids, but my older brother was the one who said, you know, you're tall. And if you, if you started working right now, and this is, this is like literally going into seventh grade, he yeah. said, you could be the best basketball player Minnesota's ever had. Did he really say that? Yeah. And I said, me, really? And he said, yes, but you got to start working today. Yeah. And I said, okay, just tell me what to do. <laughs> huh. When did you know that, though that, that that you were good at it? That, that, that I mean, was it the first varsity game you played, or when when did you say, "Hey, this this makes sense," and and I feel really good out here? Well, I had a lot of fun as a seventh grader playing on our what we what we would call our JV or B squad. But um, between seventh and eighth grade, I really committed myself and learned how to shoot a jump shot you know, again, just from like. 10, 12 feet was all I was doing was a turnaround jumper and had a couple moves and uh, was really working down in the post. And I told my high school coach then I was going to be trying out for the team going into eighth grade and that I I really hoped she'd give me a shot. And she said, well, you know, if you're if you're as good as the other girls, you, you probably won't move, get moved up. But if you're clearly better, I'll give you a chance. So I got to be a varsity starter in eighth grade. And that was where things really started, and and we we made it the district championship. We lost to Henning by one point, and then came down to the state tournament and watched uh, the very first state tournament, 1976. And as a team, we decided, you know, this looks like fun. We should try to do this next year. Mm-hmm. And and we did. We we came down the next three years and won the state championship. And literally, Mike, we went to Southdale Mall, and we went to the airport and watched the airplanes take mm-hmm. off, and we. We ran down the up escalators and ran up the down escalators. And, you know, we were real, real pranksters. Real renegades from New York Mills era. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it, we were, we were really were at the right place at the right time. We had um, some key, you know, people would call them transfers now, but we had some girls who moved into our town whose families bought farms. And they happen to be tall. Just by chance. At this time, you're not recruiting. You just got them by chance, right? People would be so suspicious nowadays, of course. But we got the Miller sisters, Jenny and Sue from California, and their dad was an aeronautical engineer and bought a farm north of town. And they were, you know, 6'1 and 5'11 and were great volleyball players as well. And then we also had a girl named Kim Salty, who was our point guard, who was uh, 5'11". And wow. she's being inducted into the Minnesota Sports Hall of Fame, not Minnesota, I'm sorry, New York Mills Hall of Fame coming up on April 9th. So I get to introduce her and present her um, as she's inducted. But she actually moved in from a small town in South Dakota named Harold, South Dakota. And her family, the the county came and told them that they were going to put an irrigation ditch through their farm. And they gave them money and said, we'd like you to move because we're going we're gonna to put this this irrigation system right through here for the county. And so the Salty family had looked a couple places in Minnesota. They decided to move to our area. And at one of our 40-year reunions, the lat- we, we celebrated three years in a row for our three state championships. Yeah. And we got on the bus, the school bus, and played the same songs and, and sang the same songs we used to sing to all of our games yeah. and uh, just had a great time together. But Kim told us a story, Kim Salty, that 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 project that displaced them from South Dakota and 
never happened. The county never never built the irrigation system. So, so they never would have had to move. No. <laughs> so, and so you, you start putting these pieces together. And I mean, you, it's kind of crazy, isn't it? Yeah. And how did that happen? Yeah. But again, yeah. you know, I, I enjoyed listening to Coach Cosgriff because he's not only coached Paige Beckers, of course, but one of my favorite uh, campers and camp coaches for many years was Leslie Knight. Yes. Who also was Miss Basketball and state champion and played for him. And Yeah, one of his uh, favorites, too. Yeah. And, yeah. and you told me yesterday when we were talking, she, she uh, retired on huh, Spain? She did. She did. And, and, you know, his point was that you can't just win with one player. And, of yeah. course, he's had such great teams. But Leslie Knight was... Um, was outstanding, and you know she really bided her time at the U and kept a good attitude. And she's been playing over in Spain, um, but every summer she'd come back and, and work our basketball camps. And this was one of our best staffers because she's just one of the best people you'll ever meet. And she got married a few years ago and uh, just retired from her team because she found, found out she's expecting a baby. Awesome. That is yeah. now, now now I I Jen Carvinen is our guest. Uh when you had uh, your camps uh for years, a couple campers that you had, one was named Lindsay Whalen and one was named Paige Beckers, right? What what do you remember? Yeah, you know, I started camps in, in eighty eight. I I ran them for um thirty two years, Mike. I just retired from the camp business, had over twenty thousand campers and then the last last 10 or more years we've also been working with boys too because we just felt that I mean I felt that our strength and my son helped to work with me too he Dave he's he was a basketball coach at Moundsview for many years and we just felt that kids really need a positive place where they can come and learn and not feel like they're under the gun or under a lot of pressure we just had good music and good drills and a lot of repetition um, videotape and just a, a real personal approach and um, back, back. I'll never forget standing in the, high, the hallway of Minnetonka High School where I started my camp, and uh, little Lindsay Whalen with her page boy haircut was kind of clinging to her mother because her mom was trying to drop her off at the day camp, and they had come in um, from Hutchinson, and uh, Lindsay, Lindsay just was really nervous about staying there. I think she was probably ten. Yeah. And her mom, Kathy, said, you know, Lindsay, if you, I found out later that Kathy had to bribe Lindsay Mm -hmm. to stay at camp all day because she was homesick Mm. um, with a, by stopping at Burger King. (laughs) Well, can I get a, can I get a milkshake? And Kathy said, sure, I'll get you a milkshake if you just stay at camp all day. And then Lindsay said, and fries too. (laughs) (laughs) Neil be behind that too. And what do you remember about Paige Beckers? Oh, you know, I I use facilities all around town. Um, I used to live on the west side of town, but I I had camp at Minnetonka for 20 years. I had camp at Benilde St. Margaret for 20 years too. Um, But Paige lived in St. Louis Park, so her dad Bob would bring her over. And she came the first year. She was just eight years old, second grade. And our camps usually started going into fourth grade. We just felt that most girls and boys, just from a maturity standpoint, at least when we started, weren't always ready to be gone all day, too. And, and yeah. it's, it can be a long day. Um, but Bob had asked if she could come, even though she was a little bit young. And I always caution parents and say, you know, we really want to make sure it's a good experience. And, and I feel a lot of responsibility that kids like the game and that, we set them up too, and and uh, but I watched Paige that first day, and 
And my son Dave was there too. And we just kind of looked at each other like, I think she's going to be just fine because she was already on her way and had already spent a lot of time with the basketball. And uh, of course she's a, a stellar athlete, but I, and there's many people I'm sure who want to take a little credit for the player she's become. But uh, I do feel like our our program did get her off to a really good start from eight to 13 that she came every summer and she'd come for more than one week at a time. And it was all ears learning how to shoot um, the right way. And we're, we're particular and we're detailed in our approach and, and she just she just was all in, and uh, we we always were moving her up to the next age group, trying to challenge her. And by the time she was uh, in eighth grade, we couldn't challenge her anymore. So <laughs> that's when she <laughs> she took off with the AAU the circuit for sure. Hey, Janet, can you stand with us for a quick break? I want to talk about what you're doing now. Yep, sure thing. Janet Carvinon, one of the legends of the the hardwood, and. Uh, uh, she had a calling in basketball, and she's had a calling since then as well. We'll explain when we come back on Sports to the Max. Welcome back. WCCO Sports to the Max. Janet Carvin and my guest in the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Uh, your sanctuary used to be the basketball court. Now your sanctuary is the sanctuary. Uh, just visit ye- you yesterday. We'll have a TVP Senate tomorrow at 6 o'clock. Uh, what does Janet Carvin on do now? She speaks... Not to her campers, but from the pulpit. Um, take us through. In, in your 40s, you decided there was something more to life that was uh, calling you, uh, and, and you followed uh, you followed the voices and your faith, and, and where are you now? Yeah, you know, no one's probably more surprised that that I'm a pastor than, than me. Um, my faith's always been important to me. I, I remember one time in the state tournaments, I had had mentioned that that my faith was the most important thing in my family and then basketball and I remember after that headline or that quote appeared in the Star Tribune I got you know so more more fan letters from Christians all over Minnesota and they'd write letters to me at Janet Carvin New York Mills Minnesota and it would get to me but I think that faith and testimony was pretty powerful then and I, I think it is now but I I think when I walked through my with my dad through his five-year cancer battle and and uh, that whole journey, you start really looking at life. And I think as you get older, you we all have um, a lot of things you try to reconcile and th- mistakes you've made and things you wish you'd done differently. But, but you start asking yourself about purpose and meaning and what what are the things that last. And, and I really attribute my faith to, um, in returning it to it uh, more vigorously after I got married to my husband, Al, Montgomery and started raising children but that cancer battle with my dad was really a a holy time and you know at the time one of the hardest things I had ever been through Um, and so I thought well I think I might go to seminary and maybe take up one class to learn about the Bible and I mentioned that to a an older pastor and he said well you know you're you're really too old to do that and you know, women shouldn't be taking up spots for, for, you know, young men might be wanting. And, you know, at your age, you're just not going to serve long enough. And it's just probably not a good idea for you to to think about that track. And so when this retired pastor took, gave me that advice, I kind of put it on the back burner and thought, well, maybe he's right and let a few more years go by. But I think when you feel a call from God, I think God's pretty persistent and hmm. just kept coming back and coming back. And I just said, you know what? 
dang it, I'm, I think I'm just going to go in. I was a little worried about the computer and about finding my way around Luther Seminary, but I applied and was accepted, and, and uh, it took me five and a half years to do a, a four-year full-time program, but I was really proud of myself um, to be able to manage that and to do that once our youngest child had made his way into full-time school, and it really has been a game-changer. Do you enjoy it every day? I mean, you're working with all kinds of different people, all kinds of different places in your life, from the best of a baptism and, and, and a marriage to diagnosis and funerals. You know, I, I do love it. And much like what you do, Mike, I mean, the variety of the day-to-day yep. is really cool. And, and the, the key, yep. opportunity. Yeah, I mean, it just keeps everything fresh because you just never know what's around the corner. And for me... I, I do embrace change, and I'm a little more of a free spirit where I, I kind of like the, I, I do like the pressure situations that come up from time to time. And I was just telling my family today about an, oppor- uh, an opportunity I had to be with a family when they disconnected their loved one from a ventilator and how difficult that was. But what a holy space it was and what a privilege it was for me to be in the room with that family as we prayed together and released their loved mm. one uh, back to God. And so it's been, it's just been great. Um, it, you know, as far as work goes, I, I feel really blessed. I'm working at Incarnation Lutheran Church, which is in the ELCA. It's close to my home and um, in the Shoreview North Oaks community. And it, it, I get to be a pastor to people that, who I golf with and who, who've, have raised their kids alongside ours, and it's just been a lot of fun. Wow. Well, hey, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much. It was so fun to connect with you yesterday. Like I said, we'll have a TV story on it tomorrow at 6, but to visit with you and to, to hear somebody that follows their heart, leads with their heart first, and uh, isn't afraid to evolve and make change for the better is awesome. Thank you so much, Janet, and continue continue serving. Yes, and thank you, and you're a blessing too, Mike. Thanks for all you do. You bet. Janet Carvin, a nice enough to join. She's playing our WCCO basketball team. I played on with Don Shelby and Ralph John Fritz, and we recruited a few ringers back in the day. When we come back, he's Mr. Basketball in the state of Minnesota. You'll meet him when we return. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.